0: nationwide shortage of truck drivers just keeps getting worse. What can be done about it? Hi everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. The driver shortage has been with us in one form or another since most of us can remember. So what's so special about the situation now? Only that the crisis is threatening to have a huge impact on supply chains. It's creating more volatility in the market than ever before. It's raising the cost of moving goods, assuming that a shipper can even find enough trucks to get his product to market. And it's heralding a notable shift in attitude toward the very nature of blue-collar jobs in this country. I'm joined on this episode by Bobby Harris, CEO of Blue Grace Logistics, to talk about the driver shortage and what can be done to alleviate it. He covers the issues of age, logistics planning, capacity availability, regulation, shipper-carrier relations, and union affiliation. Even at the height of the crisis, he has some ideas for coping with the mess. So here is my conversation with Bobby Harris. Bobby Harris, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: I want to talk about the trucker shortage, uh, or the driver shortage for that matter, and its impact on the upcoming holiday season and beyond. This is a problem, though, that's been with us seemingly forever. Uh, Is it any worse now than it's been for like the last 10 years?
1: It certainly has created a lot more, um, I would say, volatility in the market than I've seen it in the last 10 years. I don't know that it's a bad thing. At this point, right now, I, I think the additional struggles or are, are that the driver shortage is is, is happening to is being affected. All right, I guess you'd say we're taking care of it in different ways that we can do right now. You know, people are getting smarter with their supply chains. People are trying to figure out ways to, you know, kind of numb that using uh, intermodal type services and stuff. But I do think we're headed for a cliff at some point if we don't actually affect that very number of drivers.
0: All right, well, I do want to talk about strategies in a moment. But first of all, I want to understand what has brought us to this state of affairs. What are some of the factors that have combined to create this problem?
1: Well, it's no secret. The drivers in America right now, the average driver age, you know, it's, it varies depending on which you know medium gives you the information. But 56 is a, a pretty common number as the average age of a U.S. driver, which creates – a lot of discussions of what are we going to do the biggest problem is they're not being replenished if you walk into a high school right now and ask everyone to raise their hand that wants to be a driver when they graduate you're not going to see probably a hand you're just not going to it, blue collar for that matter but especially a truck driver you know is as, as opposed to probably 20 years ago there were several people like you know hey this is a good way to make a good living and take care of my family uh, i can make a really good income doing that once i get out i'm going to get my cdl those type of discussions aren't happening. It's just not in the, the DNA of America to, you know, want to go out right now to young people and, and do blue-collar jobs, but especially driving. That's the scariest part to me. I don't. I still don't see the remedy to this. You know, we're trying to fix it with technology and stuff, but the actual people signing up to be drivers or having a future in driving is something you just don't hear of.
0: Yeah, odd, too, that uh, as we're supposedly in economic recovery and the unemployment rate is gradually coming down we're not seeing that uh, reflected in the number of drivers because as you say people aren't driving trucks what are they doing instead
1: you know it's uh, we could get onto a political soapbox right then i just but it you know in trying to avoid that i can't entirely i just think it isn't as uh, a big a deterrent to be without a job right now uh, because you know, quite frankly america is a great you know it's a, the united states is a great country and we're providing assistance to those to you know, weather through until they can find something else. But you'll find people will take jobs out of college and out of high school that are lower paying, but they feel has a little bit more prestige. I think there's a stigma that comes with a blue-collar job, and everybody knows what everybody's doing now with Facebook and Twitter and all that. So I feel people, you know, seek something that has a little bit more prestige, and unfortunately it affects the jobs that I, I find very noble, such as truck driving.
0: Are there aspects of the trucking industry that are feeling the pain more than others, types of transportation, types of haul, or types of vehicles and services?
1: Certainly you're seeing a huge, uh, the biggest is in the truckload sector, but specifically we see it in the flatbed. I don't know why, you know, specifically the flatbed sector, but that is one where almost everywhere you turn there's, there's loads being wait, uh, ready for pickup and just not enough capacity for them.
0: In the last few years, too, we've seen it especially critical in long haul, uh, truckload types of situations where team drivers, where drivers just don't want to be away from home that long.
1: They don't. It's it's a new world, and you think about this. If you see all the the reports on what the new millennial wants, and you'll list the top ten things that you know how to hire a millennial, It's the hottest thing. The question I get as a CEO: What? How do you get the millennials? And you know what is it they want? And I can tell you, you won't see anything there that is that's linear to. Truck driving, other than like freedom or, you know, experiencing new places, it's not something that that lines up well with the generation that's coming out.
0: What's the situation, union versus non-union? I mean, to the extent there's still unionized trucking anywhere these days, is it worse in one of those sectors?
1: Yeah, so the unions, the interesting part of that, union in the truck driving industry, to me, is not nearly as prominent as it used to be. Uh, certainly in the parcel division, you have UPS, which is a big entity. But the number of entities that actually have unions, I don't feel is a, is a big enough uh, pool size to really extrapolate real meaningful data out of it. I'll tell you, it used to be, by the feeling of this, it used to seem that union drivers made a lot more. Certainly, they were more expensive because of their pension and, and benefits and things like that that made it very hard to uh, for union companies to compete with non-union companies. And in the past few years, you've seen YRC get a lot of concessions back. And, and I think there's been some rationalization between the delta, between union and non-union. So I think they're equally as affected overall.
0: And we've been talking so far, it seems, about drivers as employees. But I guess we're also seeing kind of a similar problem on the owner-operator side as well.
1: That's been a huge part of the, the capacity reduction. One of the bigger problems you see right now with that is lending, it's not very easy for someone to come out and say, you know what, I want to have my own little trucking company. I want to buy a truck or two trucks if I'm doing well and do something with that. It's, you know, credit now, money's real cheap to get, but it's very hard to get. So a lot of the people that are wanting to go into that type of work or into that type of business, as as you mentioned, it's very, very tough for them to come up with the financing to get that rolling. You start mixing into the regulations that affect not just the big companies but the little companies now it's making it very tough for them to go out and thrive and, and build a business out of it.
0: So here we are headed into the peak holiday shopping season. How does it look? How does it look to be shaping up in your eyes in terms of driver and worker availability to support that peak volume?
1: You're definitely right. At the You're at the, the, the very end of it. I don't know where we're going to get more. We're going to be able to expand our capacity any more than people already have. I think you're going to start seeing service be an issue and that's probably going to be, uh, you know, everybody's going to get their stuff. It's not going to be, you know, people missing Christmas, but we can certainly see that the end of the third quarter was uh, a lot stronger than we even anticipated. We're we're noticing it across all industries, all sectors, and now we're going into this this fourth quarter with, as you say, the holiday season's coming up, and we expect that there's going to be some issues with particularly service. You know, rates have gone up. The spot market for truckload is certainly going to keep climbing up here over the next couple months, in my opinion. And uh, I think those are some of the things that you will you can bank on happening over the next few months.
0: Now, UPS really got a black eye last Christmas. It was unable to keep up with the volume of shipments and deliver a lot of them on time. It's now saying that it intends to double the amount of the seasonal workers for this coming holiday season. Is that a, a possibility on their part?
1: I don't know how you double. I, I, if they can do that, then I'm really impressed. If you can double your capacity of, uh, of workforce, they might be talking about the people that supplement the, you know, from customer service to dock workers and things like that. I would love to see it, and no one's better at anticipating those needs than, than someone like UPS or FedEx. They certainly have the marketing and the research available to them to, to do that. And op- operationally, they're very strong. That being said, again, I just wonder where you get that kind of labor at a moment's notice.
0: For that matter, you talk about people losing respect for blue-collar jobs, which are also jobs in the warehouse and distribution centers. Are those jobs coming harder to fill now as well?
1: What's interesting is, and this is another thing that'll tie into the other part of politics, is ironically, and even in the driver market, the immigration policies that we have in the United States need to be built with that in mind because you're finding a lot of those workers, a lot of the drivers are are European immigrants, immigrants from Latin America, and you're also seeing that in the warehouse community in in a very, very large part. The other part is you, you do get those hires. You know, I know 20 some odd years ago, if you went and got a job for a trucking company on a dock, it was a very, very tough job to get. They could be very selective. The requirements were, you know, being fresh shaven every day. You couldn't be late a minute. Everybody had to be real professional. And now they'll take what they can get. So they're filling the jobs. It's just the level, the quality level seems to be far less than what it used to be and continues down that path. That's why I believe that sometimes we need to seize the ability for immigrants to come in that actually want to do the work.
0: I guess the same goes for trucking as well, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, assuming they can get the proper licenses.
1: Exactly, because they'll come in here and they, they think that's the greatest opportunity in the world to be able to drive and make that kind of income in America. It's their dream come true where other people are shunning those jobs away that are Americans.
0: So let's talk about some strategies for dealing with this crisis. Uh, what are some creative ideas that are out there in order to cope with it?
1: One thing that we see movement towards is we're starting to see more executives – get involved in the supply chain. seems to be migrating more and more to the CFO level trying to figure out, okay, this is becoming, it's impacting my sales, it's impacting my finances in a big way across the board. So you're starting to see a little bit more involvement from that end. The one thing that I believe that is underutilized is pool distribution. You know, there's a lot of companies, if you're not, if you don't have the sophistication available to you, they make a lot of bad choices and make a lot of shipments they otherwise don't need to. So larger companies that have that density are starting to seize into, okay, well, wait a, maybe we should put a warehouse up in the Northeast. We shipped you know, 62 shipments up into the Northeast last week, and a lot of them in the same little area. Well, what if we sent a one truckload up there a week and then did a pool distribution model or even just opened a warehouse in there? So people are getting more smarter in ways like that. The other thing that you're seeing is you're seeing the average shipment size increase. Rather than sending two small shipments, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, they're realizing – maybe that customer could actually wait till Wednesday and we should aggregate that shipment and instead put it as one. It reduced the cost. And number two, it also helps with capacity concerns. And then you also have people being creative. You're starting to see trains moving a lot more stuff and then not just all the way, but maybe it breaks from you know, California into Dallas and then it hits a LTL seven. So people are starting to get a little bit smarter on that, but I think warehousing and, and reducing the length of haul is, is probably the number one order of the day. That can't be done effectively unless people are utilizing the technology that's available out there. And I think people are seizing that in large part now more and more.
0: Technology of what kind do you mean? You mean like transportation management system type technology or uh, load optimization technology or what exactly?
1: Well, TMS, if you have a, a real business, you have to have a TMS now. Otherwise, you're you're taking a knife to a gunfight. Uh, so TMS on the, on, the, on the front end will optimize people's supply chain and ways that they haven't seen, if they haven't been able to use one. But beyond that, load optimization is the other part. If you have a a business of size that's moving enough to uh, various parts of the country or across the country, I should say, it's really important to get someone to model that out for you to see if there's any kind of synergies there or or kind of efficiencies that you could gain, because usually you will find those. And there's just no way to dig them out just by eyesight, not all of them. So I would say a TMS and something that optimizes your loads.
0: You're talking about pool distribution as an option, too. Who is providing that type of service? What types of entities out there can provide the pool of equipment that are necessary to make that a a possibility?
1: Again, maybe this is a biased opinion, but I think the 3PL community is the one that can put that together. Because they're the ones with the technology to show you where it's going and, and, and how, it's, uh, how it would affect you, what kind of savings you would have, what kind of length of haul reduction you have, what kind of impact you'd have on your customers. But then they're also the ones that could set up the, the distribution for you. They're the ones that can source the capacity as far as the line haul segment and then the LTL component on the other end.
0: Even if they're asset light themselves, they can do, do this through relationships with carrier bases?
1: Absolutely. Because there's, there's three entities there. You, you have a warehouse. You have, or a dock. You have the line haul, and you have the LTL. So you're you're going to have moving pieces in this. No matter how you do it, this makes it seamless. And and again, you have the technology piece. So it all kind of comes under that one umbrella. And and I've seen that work pretty effectively for everybody, for the big players in the 3PL community, whether it be Blue Grace or C H Robinson. It seems like there's a lot of expertise there that can help most people if they don't already have that in place.
0: Well, we do seem to be going, in some cases, toward a network of more regional DCs. Certainly, Amazon is an example of a company that has been building regional DCs all over the place, thereby shortening transit times, thereby, I would think, making those trucking jobs more attractive to prospective employees because they don't have to be away from home. They can go, they can go home every night, and it's not quite as arduous a job. Is that a plus in that respect
1: that 's a huge plus it's uh, again you know this is the changing of America. I can remember you know even fifteen years ago, it was kind of a sexy job to to run wild as they say, you know hey i 'm going to take a load out and i don 't know where I'm going the next day. Not overall was it always like that, but there was certainly more people that liked that job than there is now now people want to get back, they want to get home, they want to get to the gym, they want to see their kids which is a real healthy thing, things like a, the a regional distribution model is going to be something that's much more attractive to a driver. Home every night. You can see it on the back of the trucks when you drive down the road now. You know, they're, they're, everybody's recruiting, and that's one of the big things on there. They go home every night, be home every night, make great money, great benefits. Um, something like Am- what Amazon's doing certainly uh, falls right in line with that.
0: Not just Amazon, but Google and eBay and all of these different companies and even some brick-and-mortar retailers themselves are launching their own fleets of trucks to provide, in some cases, same-day service within urban centers. Those are truckers, too. Um, what about those jobs? Are they becoming hard to fill, or is that is that going to be a problem going forward?
1: I think that's going to be a problem just the same. They might have more money to attract to the right type of driver, but it all comes back to economics. The market always wins. And you have to have drivers to move all those loads. One of the things that we see right now in the, uh, you know, in North Dakota is, is the oil fracking. That is being a, it's become a huge drain on a lot of drivers, uh, a lot of companies because they have an experienced driver that's been around 15 years, and someone offers them a big signing bonus and a salary that's 60% more. I mean, they just throw so much more money at them than a, a truckload or an LTL provider can do. So they're losing some of that to them. You know, there's some some jobs out there right now. Some companies are like they're throwing the money at it. Maybe Google, Google certainly has the money, but they still have to, you know, cost rationalize everything else. I I feel that they're going to have the same problems everybody else does or they're going to have to increase their costs just like anyone else. And and again, I think this all leads back mm-hmm. to there's just no place for this to go except for driver wages to increase to a level that it's going to be attractive enough for people to go, wait a second. Maybe that blue collar job isn't so bad. Maybe I want to do that.
0: Well, that's a p- supply and demand, classic supply and demand in play. So I suppose that could happen, right?
1: It, it will, it will happen, happen.
0: At some point, yeah. out of necessity. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder also if o- if oil fracking and natural gas production is providing a double whammy to the extent that it is taking up so much rail capacity these days that it might be more difficult for shippers to utilize rail as an alternative to truck. Is that a possibility?
1: I couldn't agree with you more. In, in, in here we go, you know, on the truck side, we can always build more trucks, we can get more trailers. We're talking about a driver issue. On the rail side, it's more than that. It's No one's going to be building new railroads right now. So that capacity isn't as flexible as or scalable as the other side, which is one of the reasons you see that, that sector just booming as far as the stock goes. You know, Warren Buffett putting in $36 billion into something I think was a, a leading indicator that... That was going to get, become a very tight capacity market, and that's certainly what you've seen.
0: You saw the writing on the wall a couple years before it became a, a big <laughs> yes, crisis because railroads hadn't been considered that great of investment. For, they weren't making back their, their cost of investment for so many years, and now it just seem to be going great guns. On top of which, I mean, we do have – we do see capacity tightening, and I guess the driver shortage is certainly one aspect of that, but also the number of pieces of equipment out there, which I think forces shippers to somehow – have to become better customers of carriers in order to ensure that they have access to what capacity is available. So as a third-party logistics provider, what advice do you give your shipper clients on how to be better customers of the carriers and thereby do a better job of getting the capacity that they need?
1: Well, you know, the first thing we, you know, you have to let everybody know. These are, if you go to any trucking company, they're a for-profit business. They're not .org, they're .com, so if they're waiting at your dock, you know, excessive amounts, or if you're tough to do business with, if, you're, if your freight is un, un, uh, unpackaged, right, is something you have a lot of damages on, if you're not a good payer, if you're just a bad citizen, they have a lot more leverage right now, so they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to increase your rates, cause they, not just that they can, but they it's ne- necessary because their costs have gone up, too or they're going to, you know, let you be available to somebody else. It's something, they will walk away from bad business more now than they ever, ever have. And we actually like that because we think that it's making people become more educated and understanding. it. I think, you know, I think the companies, the trucking companies, the good part of this is, I think they're getting healthy healthier financially, but to your point, they're also not adding a lot of capacity. They're not going to have a bunch of trucks just sitting idle that, that are eating up their balance sheets. So You know they're going to take care of who's taking care of them. You don't know what kind of, as I call, black swan event that could happen over the next couple of years. So if capacity gets really tight in the next two years, as there might, and when I'm not saying real tight like it is now, I'm talking like people just can't move stuff. It's really, really, you know, cramping down on the supply chain. I would suggest people get in position right now to be able to source that capacity by becoming very close with the the providers that they have, not getting too diverse. You know, don't have 20 providers if you don't need 20 providers. A good, loyal customer is someone that's going to have a lot more latitude in those days ahead.
0: Might we see a move toward more use of dedicated fleets in order to ensure access to that capacity?
1: You know, I've heard those discussions quite often. It's certainly people like the control that comes along with it. They feel like, okay, at least this we know we can service our clients in this way. And, and you know, we've for years we've seen some of the bigger companies do that uh, with their private fleets. but. I still think that in that respect, I don't expect, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't expect them to expand because they're going to face the same headwinds as a trucking company. So now you're a grocer or a retailer. Now you're changing your company's dynamics a lot more than you used to have. You know, you could just post a couple of banners up, get some drivers back in the day, but now you've really got to be active in recruiting and you got to deal with the same regulations that everybody else does. The hours of service law that they keep hitting everybody, the... You know, the technology gaps or the technology needs for putting in recorders on you know hours of service and things like that are all nuisances that these companies have to do just the same as anybody else.
0: Now I guess you could say that some of those same-day fleets that are being launched by Amazon and Google and eBay, and for that matter, like I said before, some of the brick-and-mortar retailers are, in effect, private fleets, are they not? They're there for the exclusive use of their, of their customer or customers to an extent? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Now, one thing I think that's very interesting is you're starting to see a, a, a resurgence of the box truck because there's a certain level size of a box truck that you can run that can take a lot of capacity. It does not require that level of a CDL. They avoid a lot of the regulations and can get a lot more uh, labor capacity to move those things around. The closer those models get or the, the more uh, saturated someone like Amazon gets, the easier it is to use a smaller vehicle itself. So that might help ease a little bit of it.
0: What are the chances that an increasingly severe driver shortage will lead to, lead to political action, such as finally the increase of weight restrictions on interstates and uh, and, uh, and other type of highways?
1: Goodness, I, I still think the that... The removal
0: of weight restrictions or the liberal, liberalization of, of weight restrictions.
1: Well, I, I think that largely relies with the lobbyists. The, the thing that scares me is the American voter... Uh, will get information handed to them that doesn't show the butterfly effect. Someone goes to a poll and their mother of three, and they say, "Hey, you know these drivers killed you know 1,262 people last year. These 80,000 pound vehicles are being manned by someone that's sleep deprived and out of shape. Don't you think that person should have to have a BMI of this and they shouldn't have?" It? So people will just vote it wherever they want it. The American public, but it, the politicians that are actually putting together these these laws and stuff. I, I think in large part need to listen to some of the lobbyists. Man, they're lobbyists, but they're, <laughs> they're on the side of something very sane. And I, I think people are starting to listen to it a little bit. You see you know, things being delayed a, a little bit. People are starting to take note. And I, I think people are now starting to see, well, oh, wait a second, there actually is a price to pay for putting in maps and for putting in you know, the hours of service law. And, and maybe we shouldn't make everybody pass these sleep apnea tests. If all these things come to fruition, Someone's going to say, hey, why is it so – what's going on in the world right now that we can't get supply chains moving? And it's all going to point back to this. Certainly the fact that people aren't entering the workforce is hard enough if you you start putting that that regulation on it. It can make a real, real big disaster.
0: So in your opinion, are we going to go over that cliff? Or are we going to stop short of it because of these changes possibly in technology, in process, in wages, in political solutions, and natural patterns of supply and demand?
1: We will persevere over that. I just think you're going to see some radical changes in the years to come. And I think they're imminent. I believe that a driver's wage will be, from this year to next year, will probably be the biggest leap that you've seen in the last 25 years. If you look at that, just much like the, the railroad stock, a driver's wage has not increased as much as you would think over the last 15 years, if you look at the, you know, the CPI and, and rated against that, other jobs have gone up uh, much better than the driver driver wage. So, where that used to be a job that paid a little bit more, you know, like 20% more than the average college graduate, you're not seeing that as much anymore. And so, I think there's going to be some right sizing, and um, I believe the industry would agree with me on that that aspect in large part. They can't go anywhere but up then you have to have – we will get the drivers in. It's just what do we have to do to attract them?
0: Well, we can only hope. But, uh, Bobby Harris, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and kind of laying out for us this whole crisis and some possible solutions to the driver shortage. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That was my conversation with Bobby Harris of Blue Grace Logistics, talking about how to deal with the driver shortage. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.